Many of you probably know that the great slogan of the French Revolution was liberty, equality, and fraternity. And that's what the citizen soldiers declared as they rushed into bloodshed to bring about by the sword what they thought would be true peace, true freedom, true justice and unity. But of course, it was a bloody failure. And of course, it's always a bloody failure when fallen humanistic people given over to the spirit of humanism, that is that man is God, Anytime that we try to do what only God can do, it's a failure. He's the only one that can produce true freedom and justice and unity. It's because fallen humanity, under the judgment of God, spiritually dead, we can't save ourselves. We can't truly do this work. We can't truly bring about anything lasting, let alone lasting peace or lasting unity or true justice. You see, it's only God working through the power of his gospel that does this. Because the power of the gospel is the power of God that destroys and brings down the corrupt, but also recreates and raises up newness of life. And it's what we've always needed, the gospel. From the fall of Adam and Eve to today and to the end of the age, it's what we need. We need the gospel. We need God's dynamite that recreates and beautifies. And that's what Jesus confronts us with today in the gospel according to Luke. The fire of God. The reality of the gospel bringing forth true freedom and true unity and true brotherhood. But there's a mystery there. The mystery that this glorious gospel that Christ comes preaching is the most divisive message that's ever been shared Because he's the dividing line between the redeemed and the lost for all eternity. So hear God's word from Luke chapter 12, verse 49 to 59. The word of the Lord. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would it that it were already kindled? I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. The word of the Lord, may he write it upon our hearts and souls for all eternity. 
Well, that brings us to our first main point this morning, and that is this. The, the Holy One brings the holy fire that saves and sanctifies. That's what we see in verses 49 and 50 right here. You see, part of Jesus' great mission to save and to sanctify was to not only receive one baptism, but three baptisms. That's the reality of his ministry as he goes forth. We think of his very first baptism, the baptism of John the Baptist, the one who came forth calling the nation to repentance for their covenant breaking, for their sin and rebellion before Jehovah. John called the nation to come and humble themselves and repent. And Jesus came forth, not because he had any sins to confess, but because he's bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And he identifies with the people that he comes to seek and to save so he can serve them. And so he came before John at the River Jordan, the Lamb of God. And what did John say? I can't baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, John, do it to fulfill all righteousness. And it was done. And then immediately the second baptism of our Lord took place. Right as the waters were flowing off of his head, the dove fell from heaven. The sign of the Holy Spirit came down and lit upon him. Here's God's gift of peace to the world. The Lamb of God. The one filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. The one whose Father testified over him, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And here he was, fitted for battle, ready to go. To go endure his final baptism. You see, from that point on, Jesus' public ministry began, and he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. We read that over and over again in the Gospel of Luke. He says in verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it's accomplished. Jesus is talking about the baptism of holy fire on the cross. The reality of the agony of the cross His painful, shameful death upon the cross. Jesus speaks of this baptism of fire. This is serious. He's in anguish thinking about it. But he's racing towards the cross. Because at that moment in time and space, the very heart of heaven, of God's love for his people, is torn open. In ruptures on the cross. Because he has taken the full weight of the sins of his people upon himself and held in the flame of holy wrath. This is serious. That he might have you and me. That we might be forgiven. That we might be saved. He's baptized with fire on the cross. You see, God Almighty is declared to be a holy fire, an unquenchable fire. He's without sin. He's separated from sinfulness. He's perfect and pure and good and always about the right and the righteous. And he can't look upon sin without judging it. And Jesus sees the reality of what he must do to save his people. Go forth to be baptized finally in the judgment. To be engulfed in the holy flame of God's holy wrath. You see, Jesus is the whole burnt offering, the sin offering, the lamb. 
upon the, off, uh, the, 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 the altar that was engulfed, as it were, in holy flame, holocaust, burned up. So he takes all of our shame and our sin and our guilt away from before the presence of God, before his eyes, as far as the east is from the west, that we might have peace, gospel peace, true peace, true justice, true grace, true unity, true fraternity in life. And hallelujah, the fruit of Christ's redemptive work is abundant because he endured that holy baptism of fire He brings forth the reality and the blessing of a harvest of grace trophies. Sons and daughters of God, trophies of grace recreated by the Spirit of God. Christ's baptism of judgment on the cross is not only for our forgiveness and not only for the the gift of His righteousness to us as we receive it by faith, but it's also to bring about the gift of a new power. The power of the Holy Spirit that sanctifies. And you see, that's what he's talking about here. Verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth. The Prince of Peace. He came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. What fire is this? This is the fire of Pentecost. This is the fire that would come down. That glorious holy fire that recreates. It doesn't destroy Because Christ endured the holy fire of holy judgment. It's amazing. He came forth. He yearned for it. He loved to see the day of the coming of his passion because he looked through the pain and the shame to what he would possess, his bride. Saved and sanctified, holy and pure in him. Through his death, through his burial and resurrection and ascension on high so that the spirit could be poured out that we might have newness of life and grow in holiness jesus doesn't want to just redeem a bride and possess a bride that has no power to be his bride so hallelujah he saves and he sanctifies so that we can confess the name above all names with our lips and with our lives So he has eager anticipation for that holy baptism of fire on the cross so that he can get to this point of holy baptism of the Holy Spirit poured out with eager anticipation. Hallelujah, we got another little one. I love the rose, I love the booties. I can hardly wait to meet Clay and Abby's little girl. If you think about it, as a woman gets closer to giving birth, there's the eager anticipation, but there's the growing discomfort and there's the reality of the trial and the travail and the pain that is coming it's a painful thing but the mother looks past that to the blessed hope of holding in her arms the new life to love to rejoice in you see jesus looked through the fire of his passion he looked to the joy of pentecost he looked to the day that his bride would be sanctified And hallelujah, he saves and he sanctifies and it's being poured out today, even today. The fruit of his labors. So I ask us all this morning, do you have an interest in Christ's baptisms? Do you identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and his baptism and his mission for you? 
You see, he identified with us in his baptism of fire so that we might identify with him in, in water baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you have that joy and confession? Well, brothers and sisters, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? Because the Holy Spirit separates us unto kingdom living in Christ and brings division. And this is a hard text. So we come to our second point. The Holy One brings the holy fire that separates. Verses 51 to 53. Gospel peace brings great division. That's what Jesus says right there in verse 51. He drops this bomb, this very uncomfortable truth. He explicitly states that he has not come to bring peace, but division. And he asks this troubling question. This is a troubling question. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, but division. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen that verse on a Hallmark card. Anybody? But you see, this is Jesus the Christ who's the embodiment of the Word of God. He is the one that stands before us as the truth. And we have to deal with His words, whether we like it or not. He comes to bring division. Well, we experience His gospel peace and we experience the reality of His Division that the Holy One brings, the holy fire that brings division and separation. Let's, let's consider the holy fire that brings separation and division from the inside out, shall we? From the inside out. You know, we need not look any farther than our own experience to see the truth of what Jesus proclaims right here. I was blessed to be part of a covenant family. I was raised in a family that went to church every Sunday. But I didn't know the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior till I was almost 25 years old. And so I was raised in this family with a lot of hostility and a lot of division because of me. I didn't want to go to church. I challenged my parents' faith. I caused trouble for the family. I brought about division. I made life difficult. And hallelujah, at the appointed time, the Lord rescued me. Before that, I had wanted to run away from the flame of the gospel because my heart was cold and ice. Ice doesn't want to be near the fire. But the day came and I heard the gospel faithfully read and preached and the Lord broke me open from the inside out and I knew my sin and I knew the greatness of my Savior. And right then the separation began. I wanted to be separated from the old me, from rebellion, from sin. I wanted to be near my Savior. And then the separation that happens relationally began. Has this happened to you? You know, experientially, you want to share that joy of who you are in Christ now, the gospel good news, and there's a reaction to it. I wonder, have you experienced 2 Corinthians 2.15 from both sides of the fragrance? Paul writes, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. 
You see, Jesus promises division even among family and friends. And so when you go forth casting the pearls of the gospel with great joy, lifting high Jesus and the gospel peace, you get rejected often by family and friends and co-workers. That was painful for me, and it it still is. But brothers and sisters, I I imagine that you've experienced this too. You know, the, the joy that you have in Christ becomes the object of the rejection and the ridicule that you face at times. Even from the people that you love the most in this world. And it's confusing. It's painful. It hurts. In my old life, when I traveled a lot, Before I was called into vocational ministry as a believer, I used to fly a lot. And I had experienced the reality of this aroma sometimes on the very same flight. I often flew from Atlanta to Los Angeles. And, you know, I'm a talkative fellow and I can't help myself. And, you know, you begin to chat with those around you and lo and behold, you you meet a believer who was a stranger. And then they begin to encourage you and lift you up and you know the joys of koinonia and fellowship and on that very same flight you begin to talk to somebody else and they repudiate your faith and beat you down and reject you that's the reality of this separation it happens it's true well because the fire of christ's passion that accomplished redemption it brings the fire of gospel sanctification that falls on God's people and then the aroma begins and we are either received or rejected based upon are you in Christ or outside of Christ you see brothers and sisters this will finally and fully be revealed on the day of days when Jesus separates the goats from the sheep that separation's already beginning even now You see, peace with the world equals enmity with God, and peace with God and Christ equals enmity with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's painful. But we always have to remember to look at the tears of our Savior so that we can look through to the joy of salvation and what He's doing in this world. You know, as you live out the gospel life, it will be with tears and joy, even in your own families. That's how it works. There will be those in your family that reject you because of your confession of Christ. You know, Thanksgiving's on the horizon. Hallelujah. What's not to love about Thanksgiving? Food, family, and football on Thursday. It's great, right? But what is it about a big Thanksgiving table As Christians gather together with their families, oftentimes division happens, doesn't it? You get rejected by somebody in your family because of your faith. It's happened to me. Has it happened to you? Maybe last year you were at the Thanksgiving table and you were scoffed by ant unbelief. Or maybe you were rejected and rebuffed by old Uncle Coldheart. It happens. But brothers and sisters, take heart and remember the love of your sovereign Savior who saved even you and me. He is good. He is glorious. His work of salvation is His alone. And He can pour it out upon the hardest heart. 
Remember that at one time we were far off from God, dead in sins, but he has brought us near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And so remember that so that you can lean in even to those relationships that are hostile in love and share the Lord yet again with tears and joy. Don't despair. He can do it. And let's make sure that we do it with the right kind of zeal without the obnoxious zeal of using the gospel as some kind of bully pulpit to whack people with. No. Bathe it in prayer. Talk about your testimony. Share Christ's word. Lift high the Savior. Well, how about external? We've seen the the internal, we've seen the relational, but what about the external, the big picture, the world at large? Well, we see great division in the world, the great dividing line that is the gospel message that Christ alone is the true king, is the only Lord, is the only way of salvation. You know, if you share that message with whether it be Jew or Arab or any Gentile, they are going to react in a negative way with hard hearts because, well, you're telling me I can't save myself? You're telling me that this is the only way? You're telling me that this Jesus is the only way and truth and life? He's the only resurrection and life? You're telling me that? The world rejects Christ. The world is hostile towards the gospel because, you see, the world doesn't like the fact that only God can justify his justice. Because we're bankrupt in and of our sins. doesn't matter what nationality you are, what race you are, what gender you are. You are bankrupt before the Lord in your sin. And we hate that fact. The world hates it. The, The nations hate it. The nations hate the message of sovereign grace. It's offensive. Well, the root of gospel division is the peace of God, which exposes the darkness of sin and rebellion and death. Don't you feel it and sense it encroaching upon us here as believers in our own nation? I'm so thankful that Adam prayed for our nation, but our nation we see is growing more and more pagan. And I'm not just trying to insult the nation. We have more and more people in the United States that self-profess and proclaim to be pagans. Think about that. Serving the false gods of earth, wind, and fire. That's just simply to serve the fleshly appetites and desires of the material world. And that flows forth from the reality that we have given ourselves over to pluralism. At some point in our nation, we decided to take Jesus Christ off the pinnacle, the Christian religion as true truth, and we put it on the shelf with all the religions of the world and said they're all equal. And of course, pluralism leads to secularism, which is that perverse lie that denies God altogether that there is no supernatural. There's no gospel. There's no resurrection. And so what do we see? More perversity, more rebellion, more rejection. I've heard it said it's it's either Christ or chaos. It's true. Well, how do we respond to all the gospel division? 
the hostility, the rejection, the attacks that the church faces, well, we must remain steadfast in heralding the truth of truths and proclaiming Christ and sharing the gospel and discipling. And get ready. You know, Jesus didn't tell us to put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and hold up the shield of faith and get the sword of the Spirit out because we were just going to walk through the poppy fields all the way to heaven. He told us this would happen. That there would be division and a denial of the truth and attack. But the church really is tempted, isn't she? And I get it because I'm like this. I I just want to be liked. I just want to be left alone. And the church is like that. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted by the world. But what happens when the church wants to be accepted by the world is the church starts to look more and more like the world. We're seeing it. And when the church becomes like the world, she's lost her saltiness. What good is the church when she stops proclaiming the necessity of Jesus Christ, lifeblood, atonement for our salvation. What good is the church when the church stops calling sin, sin? That it's actually, every sin is cosmic rebellion before a holy God. What good is the church when she stops calling evil, evil? She's no good. She's no longer the church. Well, you see, Christ is not calling his blood-bought bride to fold up like a house of cards and throw in with the world so that we might be liked or that we might be platformed or that we might be just left alone. No. Holy fire came down on Jesus at the cross so that we might rejoice in the holy fire of new life and patiently and joyfully and prayerfully let our little light shine. Individually and collectively as the people of God with a glorious witness because time is running out. And that's what Jesus finally shows us here in our final thought Time's running out. We need to be discerning because we need to make decisions. Our third thought, the Holy One calls us to discern and to decide. Verses 54 to 59. In the first two verses there, Jesus calls the crowd to discern the the signs of the times. Jesus has come and, and so does judgment. And it's coming upon Him and His passion. It's breaking out. And He's calling them to, to see the reality of that. Because the great day of the Lord comes. You see, hell has already revealed itself on planet earth. And it happened at the cross. Where God's justice met his mercy. Hell broke out on Jesus. It's coming. And here in these final verses, Jesus is he's pointing us to a weather illustration to press home the point. That we need to be discerning. We need to see the times. We need to realize the reality of the situation. You know, I, I think in some ways it's really comforting. Here we are in the modern era, you know, all scientific, but, but the weathermen get it wrong a lot, don't they? I don't know, that kind of comforts me at times. You know, we don't have it all figured out. 
However, there really is a basic weather prediction that's common for each and every one of us, of the ancients and the moderns. You know, we're all Georgians here, kind of. There's some North Carolina. We're Georgians. We live kind of at the end of the I-20 tornado corridor, right? And when you're outside and you see great big clouds that begin to gather and grow darker and get closer, and then there's that weird kind of green-gray that happens, you know you've discerned it's time to get into the basement. Well, Jesus is saying, discern the times. See what's taking place. These people could generally read the weather signs, but right in front of them was the sign of all signs, and they're rejecting him. He says, you hypocrites! You out of everybody should be able to to see the holy signs of my holy appearing and make the right decision. Because here's Jesus standing before the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those people who had received the promises of God, the blessings of God, the covenant of God, the sacraments of God, and the promise of the Christ to come forth Messiah to fulfill all these things and give them the kingdom. And they reject them. Staggering, isn't it? And this is the one who came forth from the baptism in the Jordan, preaching the most glorious message and doing the most glorious miracles to authenticate his word. And they rejected. They're blinded by the world, the flesh, and the devil in their own hearts, and they have rejected him. And Jesus is calling them to see the signs. And to make decision while it's still time. There's still time. They should have seen the warnings. And think, these are the same people that not long from now will see him riding into Jerusalem. And his triumphal entry and then almost immediately being tried and handed over and crucified and denied, rejected. These are the same people that would see and hear about the rock splitting and the total eclipse of the sun at noon and the temple veil torn from top to bottom as Christ suffered on the cross. This is the same generation that would hear of on the third day he rose from the grave. Many would see him. And yet the hardness of heart They reject them. Well, just like them, we behold the signs, and he offers to us the eternal olive branch of peace in the gift of Christ, in the preaching of his word, in the reading of his word. But sadly, so many, even the majority of our nation, don't see it. We're surrounded with the reality of judgment to come. Aren't we? I mean, we do see Horrible weather events, the power of tornadoes and hurricanes. It's frightful what God can do. Devastating power. You see, the Greek word for judgment is the word crisis. We see and we experience crises all the time that point to the reality that we need to get right with God. 
But sadly, the world is more concerned about the crisis on our border or the crisis in Washington or the crisis in Madison Avenue, Wall Street, Ukraine, you name it, without considering the day of days when we'll all meet the judge. So Jesus presses home here in these final words, a courtroom picture to drive us to the reality that we must decide. Will we take the gift of peace or will we turn our own way? You know, when I think of courtrooms and I think of lawyers, I, the word that comes to mind is sophistry. It's word games, man. It's not true justice. You know, lawyers, they seem to be about bending the law or twisting the truth or finding a loophole or a procedural blunder so that the guilty get off scot-free. That's not true justice, right? Or they plead down a case so that the guilty one doesn't receive the full punishment. They just get some little partial one. That's not divine justice. But you see, the Lord Almighty, He doesn't take payoffs and He doesn't plead down a case. He doesn't exercise sophistry and sleight of hand with words. His law is perfect and pure. And we all stand before it as a mirror and it exposes our hearts. You know, one of the scariest verses of the Bible, Isaiah 64, verse 6. We've all become like one who was unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That even on your best day, even on my best day of struggling and striving to do right, to live right, God sees our hearts perfectly. He knows our motives, He knows the intentions of our hearts, He knows our passions. They cause our words and actions to flow forth. And he sees that we don't have a whole heart for him, perfect and pure. But there is one who does, who offers himself to us. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, that is the one who can ascend the holy hill of the Lord. We sang it, Psalm 24, hallelujah. So Jesus is pressing home the reality that we all fall short of his holy law. And he urgently calls to us to discern the holy judgment of holy God that is coming. And he urgently calls us to decide to receive the gift of all gifts that is free and beautiful and perfect and pure. As you've already seen in the waters of baptism. So hallelujah, brothers and sisters, as we think about this, as we even tremble in our hearts for our friends and family, for, for our neighbors, co-workers, for ourselves. Let's look to the Lord Jesus. Let's receive the peace. Let's not perish and let's offer it. Don't just pass the peace here, but pass the peace wherever you go. Because the world is seeking for liberty and equality and fraternity found outside of Jesus, and that will fail every time. But the church has the gift of all gifts to offer that does bring forth true freedom, true justice, true unity, and the joy of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.
Almighty God, indeed, your word is holy and pure. And it is powerful. And it is a double-edged sword that pierces. But we know, Lord, that your word is, is the dead letter without the living Holy Spirit to bring it alive in our hearts. So, Lord, we pray that you would be well pleased because of your mercy to attend your holy word with the Holy Spirit to bring holy life. I pray, Lord, that you would bring great comfort to each and every one of us today who are in you. Even when we face trials and tribulations, when people reject us and spurn us and deny us, turn away from us because of our love for you, encourage us, Lord, help us to turn back to press on, to let our light shine. And Lord Almighty, we pray for all those who may be here today that do not have you, that don't have the peace of Christ. Oh Lord, be well pleased to fill their hearts, to give them the gift of faith, that today, here, this first day of fall, that it would be their spiritual birthday, that they would come alive and confess your name and Worship you even now in this closing hymn with new hearts to receive your blessing. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.